Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. <laughs> Well, I just said, where do we start after the day that we've just had here at Wimbledon? And uh, Matt Roberts in front of me said, well, I think we better start with the match that we've just witnessed between Rafael Nadal and Nick Kyrgios. And he's got a decent point. Uh, first of all, though, let's say hello to Philip Studd, special guest here on the Tennis Podcast. Thank you for having me, David. It's a, an absolute joy. Uh, Phil is somebody that I've known for a long, long time, uh, has been a colleague of mine on BBC Radio for many, many years, and is just a generally top bloke. And uh, I do say that when he's not sitting in front of me as well. Gee, thanks, Mum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, he didn't pay me or anything. Um, so... Yeah, oh, we have so much to get through today. This one could overrun a little bit, folks. Uh, usually we try to do half an hour for these daily shows. No time limit on this one, particularly because it's just been the most extraordinary day. We will start with Nadal and Kyrgios. We'll talk about Angelique Kerber, the defending champion, going out. We'll talk about Ash Barty's form from earlier in the day when I, I, I just couldn't believe how well she played. Um, that feels a bit like about three weeks ago. It was such a, it's been such a long day. But we sit here at the moment um, where we were last night on the picnic table under dark skies now, darkening skies certainly, because it is, as we come to you, 9.26 at night. We've just wolfed down pizza whilst perusing the press conference transcripts of Rafael Nadal and Nick Kyrgios. Nick Kyrgios giving one of the most fascinating press conferences I think I've ever read. Uh, But the match itself, it was, I would say, just about everything we hoped it would be in many ways. I mean, whether you wanted Nick Kyrgios to win or Rafael Nadal to win, it started, I think we were a bit worried, Phil, that we we might be in for a bit of a damp squib at the start because Nadal went three love up and Kyrgios looked all over the place. But then things changed. I can't recall being as excited watching a match at Wimbledon for many a long year. To me, that was absolutely the reason why I fell in love with tennis in the first place. It brought back memories of watching McEnroe and Connors in the early 80s, who, as we know, were not the best of friends, but generated a fantastic rivalry through the sheer quality of their tennis, their contrasting characters, the fact that the crowd would pull for one or the other... And today, I mean, there was a real palpable tension in the air. You could tell how psyched up Nadal was for this match. From the very first point, he was determined to make a point. 
because of course he lost in quite sensational circumstances in Acapulco to Kyrgios this year. He had oh, three you, match you were, points. You were commentating on that. I mean, you? it was the most incredible finale. Uh, Kyrgios lost the first set. He had no right to win the final set tiebreak. Nadal had chances to close it out. Kyrgios produced some of his audacious winners. The crowd were going absolutely bonkers. We saw the underarm serving, which obviously didn't go down well with Rafa. And Kyrgios came out on top. And I'll never forget the look of sheer thunder on the Dow's face as he left the court that night. He was absolutely livid. Not just that he'd lost, having had match points, but because he'd lost to Kyrgios yeah. in the manner in which he did. And I think today, from the moment the draw was announced, he would have been absolutely geared up to exact revenge. And he played an incredible high level. And he had to. And that was the thing. Kyrgios played an outstanding match himself and as you say there were doubts about whether he could produce that because many times this season many times throughout his career he's just not shown up and it's been all about the controversy and what he's been saying to the umpire and the crowd and himself rather than the brand of his tennis but today he played a very high level match but Nadal was just a bit too good for him yeah and it was a match of many many parts today Matt wasn't it yeah it's one of those matches that does bring in to focus what we want out of tennis because that would have been a good match anyway like we would have been interested in Kyrgios Nadal but the fact that there was needle and there was that simmering underlying tension just made everyone even more invested in it which I thought was really interesting and the way Nadal came out firing you know he went three love up didn't he we're playing really well and he was on it Kyrgios wasn't that actually my mind went to Thomas Burdick rather randomly because do you remember in Madrid in 2006 when Thomas Burdick shushed the crowd in Madrid yes. after he played Nadal and that and that took his head-to-head record against Nadal to 3-1 at that point Burdick led the head-to-head Nadal then won their next 17 or 18 matches <laughs> He does not forget Rafael Nadal. No. He, he was out for revenge today, right from the off. An elephant. The way he celebrated at the end of the first set, which he won, I mean, you'd have thought he'd have won the title. And the way he celebrated at the end of the match, the actual handshake was perfectly polite. There was no aggro at the net. But the minute that he'd acknowledged Kyrgios, he absolutely went for it didn't he the big fist pumps the to the crowd the to his wag. box I mean he was saying yeah I'm the boss never mind Acapulco this is Wimbledon and I'm the man with all the grand slams yeah. and he's the man with the potential who'll never realise it because he hasn't got the dedication and the passion for the sport that the, he needs the finger, wag, the finger wag was reminiscent of Federer in that match against Djokovic in back French in Open. 2011 when Djokovic had won what 45 matches in a row and then Federer took him out and wagged the finger and I mean just to if you, if you didn't get a chance to see the whole match or just as a brief recap as, as Phil was saying there Nadal won that first set and then Kyrgios started to to lose it quite honestly with the umpire he was getting really miffed at the time that Nadal was taking between points obviously Kyrgios wants to take four seconds Nadal wants to take 15 minutes and and they just as Kyrgios quite rightly says we are polar opposites there that's just the way it is and his analysis his self-analysis of the two players is spot on in just about every way when you read his post-match transcript and so the aggro the unpleasantness between them and yet it wasn't really ugly but it was just that cackling tension in the air between them as that you just felt as though 
literally anything could happen, that this could end up being a, a straightforward win for Nadal. It could be Kyrgios just taking off and putting Nadal off and winning himself straightforwardly. It could be a disqualification. There was a, there was a, an unsportsmanlike conduct warning for, Ned, for, for Kyrgios. He levelled the match at once at all, having really given Damien de Massoir, the umpire, an absolute earful. Um, there was a moment where twice, in fact, uh, uh, Kyrgios hit underarm serve winners. One of them was an ace, <laughs> an underarm serve winner ace drop shot. And he also tried to hit Nadal twice with full-blooded, flat as pancakes, forehand drives at the chest. And there's no getting around it. He was trying to physically hit him with the ball. And one time he very nearly he, he nearly hit him in the head. And then the, the second time he hit his racket. And, and Nadal has has had one or two things to say about that in the in the press conference afterwards. And Kyrgios was asked, why didn't you apologise? Uh, he said, why should I apologise? You know, I try, I, did you try to hit him? Yeah, I did try to hit him. You know, he, he can take it. He's a multiple Grand Slam winner with loads of money in the bank, you know. Uh, he can handle it. And and he says, why should I apologise? Perfectly good tactic. Uh, and and he, after he hit one into Nadal's stomach, the hardest forehand I, I think I've ever seen, he stood there with Nadal glaring at him and Kyrgios was just spinning the racket in his hands, round and round and round, like a gun. It was like Clint Eastwood in a spaghetti <laughs> western, wasn't it? It was. it was extraordinary because Nadal's glare was a picture, and it was as though he was waiting for Kyrgios. He, he was he was saying, "Dare you not apologise to me for that?" And of course, as you say, not only did Kyrgios not apologise, it was like. Well, come on then, if you want some, let's <laughs> go for it. Then it seemed to me, I don't know what you think, Matt, but it seemed to me that Kyrgios just then knuckled down and played normal tennis for the next two sets. Both of them tie breaks. You came up with that astonishing statistic that Nadal had lost all five of their tie breaks previously and then he won the next two that won him this match. And Catherine, who was, who's not here with us tonight, but she was texting us saying, I think Kyrgios has got his tactics wrong here in sets three and four. He's, he needs to start clowning a bit more. He needs to get back in his head. Yeah, well, his craziest set was the second set, and that was the one he won. And it makes sense that when Kyrgios plays like that, he wins, because Nadal is all about control, isn't he? And when Kyrgios is being Kyrgios, he's a disruptive force. And Nadal admitted in his Flash interview, I think it was, that... He, he did get distracted by Nick Kyrgios versus Damien Dumasois, which was the sort of second match that was taking place on centre court. It was one of those matches where you couldn't you couldn't go to the loo during the changeovers because the 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 back and forth between Kyrgios and the umpire was just as enthralling as the tennis. It's, it's true, actually. When you looked out into centre court, I mean, bear in mind this is going past seven o'clock in the evening, and and a lot of the time you'll find people say, you know what, I've had a lot of tennis today. That's enough for me. I'll go home. Or I, I, that that third set tie break. Oh dear, I must go to the loo or I need some dinner. Nobody left. Nobody did anything, and we were. We were basically getting told, don't go to the travel and the news, because this is too good. And uh, which, I don't think I've ever really experienced anything quite, quite like that. I mean, certainly not for a second round. And I have to say, with, um, with those tie breaks that you mentioned that Nadal won, my mind went to a, a recent quote from the US women's football head coach, who said, some teams visit pressure, and we live there. And... I just thought, what a great quote that is, because Kyrgios is the kind of person who occasionally shows up, but Nadal shows up every single match. He is so used to dealing with the pressure. 
and Kyrgios couldn't quite turn it on in those tie breaks but Nadal because his level is so high throughout the whole match he's able to he's able to deal with those moments so well and he really stepped up just to give you an idea of the lateness of the hour here we can now see all the lights of center court and court number one just starting to to really come to the fore and the the skies are darkening it is now what time is it? 9.35 in the evening and Boris Becker and Kim Kleisters, I think fresh from the Today at Wimbledon studio on BBC TV, have just walked past and Boris Becker gave us a little wave, which is very nice. Um, and uh, they would have all been cackling at this, wouldn't they? Because you quite rightly mentioned Connors and McEnroe, but Becker used to do all this stuff as well. He oh, was yeah. full of glares in the, in the direction. You don't see that these days. And I think we need more of it, and that's why I think Nick Kyrgios is good news. Yes, some of his behaviour at times definitely goes beyond the acceptable line. There's no question about that. And it, it's too simplistic, isn't it, to just be critical of Kyrgios because I know you've talked about it on the podcast in the past that beneath that that veneer of indifference and and kind of arrogance uh, is someone who is probably battling issues you know maybe depression maybe just a lack of identity of, of, of really understanding who he is he's got this extraordinary talent and he's not quite sure how to deal with it in the limelight but in terms of the theatre that those two players were able to generate today and the interest that it created, I mean, as you say, the place was just buzzing. There was not a spare seat to be had. No one knew what was going to happen next. The tennis was of the very highest calibre for a lot of that match. That is precisely what this game needs and arguably needs a lot more of it. You know, you could say that things have become a bit too sanitised in tennis in the last 20 years or so. Everything from the surfaces that have become quite generic in terms of the fact that, you know, they all kind of play the same, to, to the politeness among, amongst the game's best. You know, this Nadal talks about respect, and he did again in the press conference after the match. Perhaps there's a bit too much respect. You know, we need a bit more aggro, quite frankly. You know, we're you've, not come talking the, about, you've come to the right place we're here, not talking we about aggro. We're not talking about boxing gloves on the court, but there's nothing wrong with, with a rivalry that goes beyond polite. You know, a bit of needle is what generates interest in sport, in any sport, I think. That's when people really sit up and take notice. People who are little interested in the sport will then become engaged by a storyline, by two guys, in this case, who don't necessarily see eye to eye, who are polar opposites in the way they approach their sport, their professionalism, but who have enormous talents and can combine to produce something truly memorable. And no one who watched this afternoon's match on centre will forget it no. because it was just so compelling to watch. Yeah. I do feel, though, I have thought for a little while now with Kyrgios that watching back his 2014 match against Nadal here, actually it turned out, aside from the first two sets when Kyrgios was basically doing what he's been doing all year, which is just falling out with everybody, sets three and four were a throwback to the performance he put in in 2014. It's just that he happened to win the two tiebreaks that time rather than lose them. And we have seen that rarely in recent years. A player who will come out and play big tennis, powerful tennis, try to overwhelm an opponent, and yes, throw some tricks in, etc. as well. These days, it's become circus more than 
sport in in the world of Nick Kyrgios and I feel as though he's ended up living up to the caricature that people have drawn of him and his most extreme tendencies and he's seen this and he's heard it and he's listened to it for so long and Nadal alludes to it as well in his post-match press conference that we're all you know every time he does anything it's immediately clipped and it's put out on social media and everybody laughs and I'm the same we, we all find I, I watched a, a seven minute highlights reel of of Kyrgios's best bits from 2018 and I spent the whole thing laughing and enjoying it loving it but it just makes him want to do it more or it makes him feel like you know as Jimmy Connors used to say this is what they're paid for this is what they want this is what I'm going to do and and I think the problem is that the chances are we will never see him contend for titles and he is honest about that in his post-match press conference again he says look I'm a great tennis player I can do all the things that these top three can do but I don't have their professionalism and and there's no suggestion that he is intending to do anything about that which whilst I, I, I accept it on one level because a night like tonight is memorable on it in its own right I just think there's there's not going to be enough of these because he won't be relevant often enough and the fact is he's reached two uh, Grand Slam quarterfinals in his career and the last one of those was three and a half years ago yeah, I mean, it's very difficult to argue with any of that. Um, I think ultimately it comes down to what Kyrgios truly wants. I think from an outsider's point of view, you see his talent and you're just left desperately frustrated that he appears to be underperforming because he is not being professional in the way that the top players are. And if he were, you just wonder at what he could achieve. But ultimately, it's up to Nick, isn't it? And if he's happy with that, if he's genuinely happy to show up and entertain and make a very good financial living out of the game and have the odd highlights reel, as you've alluded to there, then that's okay because it's his life, it's his game, it's his profession. Everyone else can feel frustrated on his behalf, but it's kind of down to him. But does he really feel that way? Is he really content at where he's at? I would suspect not because Mm. I think some of his on-court behaviour tells me that he's he's actually kind of in a, a cryptic kind of way asking for someone to intervene and, and, and help him that, that, would be, that would be my view maybe I'm wrong uh, I mean who knows because he, he is very difficult to unravel Nick Kyrgios um, but I get the feeling that he would secretly like to fulfil his potential whatever that may be maybe he's scared to try he would secretly like Andy Murray to step in and well, say I mean, come and on it, Nick isn't that, rev- isn't, I'll, that, I'll sort you out. isn't that intriguing you know Murray's alluded hasn't he when his career does eventually come to an end uh, to, to the possibility of coaching we know that Kyrgios thinks the world of Murray respects him more than anyone else in the locker room that would be an intriguing match up wouldn't it yeah it's just Kyrgios's talent in a way is a curse isn't it it's, it's thrusted him into this world that he doesn't I don't think he enjoys it I really don't but and I don't think he would enjoy what it takes to fulfill that talent either um, equally I'm not sure he has any idea what else he should be doing absolutely um, so he's here and let's just carry on and live day to day now I have to say first of all 
congratulations Rafael Nadal because what a performance and and he is a real threat in this tournament he's got Joe Wilfred Song next I mean he's got a horrendous draw we know that but he has just played himself into form tonight and everybody needs to watch out is it would be my takeaway from it all I have a number of messages of people saying why do you spend so much time talking about Nick Kyrgios I'm sick of it um you know this that the other other people love it you know he does divide opinion I don't feel like a day like today can be ignored and everything that has gone with it, hence why we've just given it 18 minutes of our time. And, uh, and yeah, that's probably the end of, of our Nick Kyrgios conversation for Wimbledon in 2019. But what a night it has been. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello tennis podcast listeners, David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So, what else has happened? <laughs> Angelique mm. Kerber has gone out. What, what on earth went on there? She went out to Lauren Davis, who was a lucky loser, who won, I think, 6-2 in the third set. Um, and not a dissimilar sort of feeling to that exit as the one she had at the Australian Open. Yeah, and she seems to be vulnerable to being hit off the court a little bit at the moment. I think Kerber's thing in the past has always been turning opponents' power back on them, but she seems vulnerable at the moment to just being hit through and blasted off. And it's almost as though I walked to an Eastbourne last week against um, Halep, and she looked great. But it's almost as though that confidence she found there was just an illusion. It, it, it wasn't there today when she needed it. And stuck out on court two, which defending champion out on court two I think that's a questionable court assignment and yeah. I, I felt for her out there and 
there was so much else going on at the same time it almost got a bit lost in the whole story of the day but yeah it's it's disappointing for her and also I think I mean you know fair play to Lauren Davis she's she's a great player great competitor but I I was looking forward to potentially seeing Kerber come up against Serena in that fourth round as well mm. so this is the announcement to close the place are we going to be able to get out David <laughs> <laughs> I think we can. I, th- I think we'll find a we'll find a little hedge and we can jump over it. We can go through. Yes, yeah. Matt's had experience. He's been here late at night, but yes, it is now nearly ten o'clock at night, and uh, and that voice tells us the place is closed down for the night, and that means that Andy Murray's doubles must have just ended moments ago. Uh, his first match here in a couple of years, and uh, and he's won it with Pierre Hugobert from a set down. So uh, we'll be seeing more of Andy Murray in the men's doubles as well. So Angelique Kerber is out. I mentioned Ash Barty has gone through and she she was it's hard to overstate how good she was today because she played Alison van Oetvank of Belgium who is a, a real grass court specialist and played beautifully herself uh, it was all slices and dices and chips and, and approaches to the net and then lobs in response and smashes. It was just an old school grass court match and it was a, a joy to behold but Van Oetvank could not get near Barty. And Barty's now won, I think, 14 matches in a row. And she's, she's lost one set in those 14 matches. If, if she doesn't win this title, it's the player who beats her who's going to win it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's as though her whole mindset has been transformed by winning her first Grand Slam at the French Open. We always knew she had the game. She's got a great attitude, great work ethic. But... The fact that she's now proved to herself that she can win at the very highest level the very biggest prizes just seems to have imbued her with that extra bit of confidence that was perhaps previously lacking. You know, they say, don't they, until you've actually won, doesn't matter how good you are, you're not sure if you're good enough to win. She's proved that to herself on a surface that would not be considered her strongest. So now she comes to the grass, which seems tailor-made for the way she plays her game with the variety she's got. And she's just keeping the dice spinning, isn't she? I mean, she won the title in Birmingham. Uh, she took Eastbourne off because she's nursing a bit of a, a chronic arm issue. She needs to she needs to manage her, her fitness. But you know, the way she started her Wimbledon campaign, I mean, you're right. She she just looks bulletproof at the moment, and and she's playing such a wonderful brand of tennis. It, it's it's hard right now to see who's going to stop her. I mean, I think a lot of people felt look winning the French and Wimbledon is a very rare thing particularly when the French that you've won is your first you know inevitably you're going to feel a great high look at Halep last year how do you deal with you know climbing the mountain achieving your life's ambition then you've got to come back down regroup and go again and I think a lot of people felt particularly the strength of the women's field in terms of the number of legitimate candidates for the title you know how how feasible was that going to be mm. for her? Well, if the evidence of the first two rounds is anything to go by, very feasible indeed. Yeah. Well, the last player to win the French Open, a grass court tune-up event, and Wimbledon was Martina Navratilova in 1984. But just the 35 years then. So, but Ash and I think N N Justine Ennin I think came kind of close in 2007 where. That wasn't the issue. It was she won the French in a tune-up, but then didn't do much at Wimbledon. Um, but I just, I just love Ash Barty because she plays, she plays points rather than shots. I always think she's always constructing a point, plotting a point, thinking a couple of shots ahead. And 
in in a very weird way she reminds me of the new Del Potro in the fact that there's such a discrepancy between what she's doing with her forehand which is loopy topspin and manoeuvring all around the court and what she's doing with her backhand which is slice but an aggressive slice mm. and I think that must be really confusing for players because you've got two such different shots off both wings I mean she's not like Del Potro in any other respect at no. all but that that element of it does does remind me of Del Potro yeah well she's through Barty she'll now face Harriet Dart I think isn't it who who got a great win today over against Beatrice Haddad Meyer and actually another good day for British players and one of the other players that won was was Dan Evans and he was quite brilliant today against Nicholas Basilashvili and I, I ended up describing Evans as the uh, as the male Ash Barty in the way that he was playing yeah. because it was all lovely slices on the back end. His game plan was so clever against Basilashvili today, just taking the pace off that back end, floating it long, then knifing a back end slice short, and the moment it got on his forehand, he exploded into his own whippy topspin. There was something sort of federerotic about it, sort of driving Basilashvili mad with that short slice and bringing him forward the way Federer used to do with Roddick and Basilashvili is not a very good volleyer and Evans really exposed him today by bringing him forward um, and he was so emotional at the end Dan Evans you, yeah. you saw how much it meant to him the fact that you know he, he, he made qualifying for Wimbledon such a goal and he said I really wanted to do well at Wimbledon and given the way that his career has unfolded the fact that you know and he's messed it up himself he's i think he's he's taken he's taken a lot of strength and a lot of hard work to get back to this and it all came pouring out of him at the and end you know two years ago when we were here he just revealed to us all that he tested positive for cocaine and i was sorry about the name dropping but i was, I was looking back at a, a few messages from him back then just Almost I, I, all I wanted to do was check on his kind of mental welfare, really, because I could, I knew he'd got at least a year out of the sport, and I thought this guy could massively go off the rails right now, if, because if he hasn't got tennis in his life and he hasn't got that structure and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, and I was just a bit concerned f- f- on a human level, really, um, and uh, and he he had said after the day before he announced that he tested positive, he said tomorrow my life changes you know tomorrow i'm i'm screwed basically and um and i thought that was the end for him i thought he would not make a comeback uh despite trying to say you know it's possible i thought it was possible but i think he he probably got a decent sentence for him i think it probably you know that gave him enough it wasn't so much time off that he he could at least make a comeback as a player but the way he's come back to win through all those qualifying and in the challenges and not, you know get through a few rounds at the qualifying here last year but not make it and then keep backing it up and David Felgate giving him this incredible platform and this grueling training regime and just not taking any of his crap frankly and I suppose doing for him what somebody really needs to be able to do for Kyrgios that he can't find and he looks just such a good player out here and he now plays Joao Sosa who beat Marin Cilic today runner up from a couple of years ago and he's got a real chance of making a run here and, and when you describe the emotion he showed Evans at the end that's what was going through my mind is just he it must be in the back of his mind there that 
I thought I was finished, and here here he is, you know, uh, because he he spent a couple of really miserable years, or at least twelve months, watching daytime television and, and being irrelevant uh, on the tennis scene, and here he is back in in the mix, so to speak. <laughs> well, is he in the mix? A little. Is he in the mix? Is Dan Evans in the, the mix? infamous mix? I'm still not quite sure what the mix <laughs> actually is. We're not really. <laughs> um, is the mix quite, by definition? a big pool of players or is it a very esoteric collection of players we described it as the group of players you would not be surprised by if they won Wimbledon so I think by that definition he's not he's not in the mix but he's certainly outside of the big three he would he'd be I think Catherine said in the top ten of list of contenders of players who are left in in the tournament and just, that, that's just, pretty amazing when you consider where he was a couple of years somebody ago somebody said to you today is he fourth favorite for the title yeah he's not is he's he? not no i he's thought not. that was felix Auger alias oh, yeah. <laughs> who'd never won a grand slam match before he arrived at wimbledon which <laughs> yeah. doesn't say a great deal does it no. for the players below the big three well i don't know though i think it shows just how special Auger alias is in terms of his potential mm. but we'll see whether he keeps going through the draw well, he's on a collision course with Djokovic, of course is he they could meet in the fourth round who was ridiculously good um in his previous round against yeah. Kudler ridiculously good he was last night we were halfway through that match when uh, when it was being played and we should say as well that after that there was a press conference that Djokovic gave in which he was grilled by the American journalist Bill Simons uh, who wanted to know why Djokovic appeared to still be backing Justin Gilmostov as a friend of his and somebody he's still in touch with and somebody he advises on and somebody that might even be able to come back uh, into position. He was grilling him as, as to why he would take such a position given the fact that um, Gilmostov has been effectively convicted of a crime and, and well he has been convicted of a crime and he is co- serving community service and he pleaded no contest in the court of law and had it very explicitly explained to him that that meant a, effectively a guilty plea and therefore why are you backing him and uh, and he asked Djokovic have you read the witness statements of that case and Djokovic said I will read them I haven't read them yet which was a huge surprise to me and I think to a lot of people that he would be taking any sort of stance on the issue having not read those details I am pleased that he told the moderator of the press conference not to intervene that he hit, that he heard Bill Simons out and that he said I will read these these statements and then we will look forward to seeing what he says in his press conference um, tomorrow hopefully with that information having been consumed so what else has happened today Johanna Konta has beaten Katarina Siniakova straightforwardly which was a surprise to me I had Siniakova winning that today I, I can't I mean we when we do our predictions for the newsletter Phil which I know you you like to read oh you? I do yeah, yes um, and they're normally wrong I have to say <laughs> they are normally wrong. I mean you're, but, you're not having you're not having your greatest ever grand no, but, slam in that regard but you've got to moment. understand the premise behind behind the predictions is a bit like the mix it's not that straightforward <laughs> no we're not allowed to say, I think that Novak Djokovic will beat Dennis Kudler, because that doesn't cut it. As you, a in other words, you have to go out on a limb. Yeah, you have to go out on a limb. And That's right. People 
come for good predictions and stay for bad predictions. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I mean, who wants to be right with something like this? You'd much rather be spectacularly wrong, which is where David comes in. We do, all we want to be is spectacular. We don't really care whether it's right, wrong, indifferent, whatever. Uh, but yeah, if you'd like to get on the newsletter, like Phil Studd, our special guest here on the Tennis Podcast, you can. Go to our social media channels, at Tennis Podcast on Twitter, uh, and we will post a link for our newsletter, and you can sign up and get it to your inbox every single morning. Oh, by the way, leave us a review on iTunes as well because we like that and tell everybody you know about the tennis podcast so we can grow our audience those are our little parish notices done um petra kvitova won today seven five six two over christina Mladenovic, which uh, she's shown some form kvitova isn't she given yeah. that she's been I, injured i actually watched that match and um she she looked quite edgy right at the beginning she was broken right at the start of the set um Mladenovic, she's got a terrible record against kvitova i think she's beaten her once in eight attempts and that was indoors about six seven years ago mm. and she actually had set points in the first set Mladenovic but you just got the feeling that that previous very negative head-to-head was was weighing on her shoulders she couldn't quite deliver the killing blow in that set and you just sense that once Kvitova broke back and got the first set in the bag even though she was broken right at the start of the second it, it always felt like it was it was her match I mean it's interesting isn't it she's come into this tournament Kvitova off a very strong year but with the problem with her arm, she, she tore a tendon in her serving arm and she had very low expectations arriving here and actually said, look, if, if, the, if it wasn't Wimbledon, I wouldn't be here. Oh, you right. know, I, I, would have, I would have actually given myself a bit more rest. But of course, I don't want to miss a tournament I've won twice before and I've got such great memories of. And she's also said, if I felt any pain in the arm, I would stop because it's not worth the long-term implications of playing through a problem like that and exacerbating it but you know given her game if the arm does hold up and the fact that she is a bit under the radar because of her injury issue coming in I mean what price Kvitova when she's on when she's on a roll uh, I mean similarly Serena Williams who lost the first set 6-2 today against Kai Yuvan but eventually came back and won it 6-4 in the third Jay Clark put up a decent performance certainly in the second set getting Roger Federer to a tie break on court one which is looking pretty worn right now uh, inevitably because a lot of tennis being played on it including doubles now Uh, Federer won through in straight sets in the end uh, what else have we had today? We've had the end of the career of Marcus Bagdatis, mm. who played his final match against Matteo Berrettini. And um, then pre- uh, proceeded to give all of his kit yes. away <laughs> to the audience. So the whole kit and caboodle, rackets, tennis shoes, the shoes he was wearing. Really? He gave one to someone in the crowd, the other to someone else. Um, sweatbands, underwear, you know, no, probably not underwear, but <laughs> you, you, I mean, short of actually walking off the court stark naked, he gave everything he possessed that he brought onto the court away, and the crowd were just absolutely in raptures. I mean, the, the ovation that he got at the end of that match went on for about 10 minutes. Wow. It was, it was really quite touching, actually, and he was milking it for all it was worth, but it was, it was a, it was a really nice moment because, I mean, what a talent he's been. Yeah. I mean, someone made the point in this era where Djokovic, Nadal, Federer and to a lesser extent Murray have absolutely owned the Grand Slams you know to get to a final in that era you know to, to have actually made a final is, and a semi here in and 06. a semi here a final in Australia is is a major achievement you know mm. that that is impressive and such an entertaining player at his best as well a real crowd pleaser so that, that was a great moment yeah, it was smiling until the end, Marcus Bagdatis. And I just think he's one of those players who 
has resonated beyond his achievements. I think I've got I've got sort of friends who are casually interested in tennis. If I were to ask them to name some tennis players, I think Marcus Bagdatis would actually be quite high up their list. He's the, he's the sort of player who connects with people. And, yeah, oh yeah. And well, I, th- th- I was in Australia that year that he got to the Australian Open final, commentated on the semi-final that he won against David Nalbandian to, to, to get there. And it felt like it wasn't sport it felt like it was bigger than sport like there was some other force carrying him mm. onwards and he did he lit the place up and and he always had that in australia didn't he because there's a big sort of cypriot greek contingent yes, over in right. melbourne and and I, I always remember that match he, against andre agassi at the us open well what a year if you consider that he reached the final of the australian open i, I mean i remembered halfway through commentary today when i saw his he'd lost that he'd he'd actually played the semis against Nadal here in 06 mm. um, and that was Nadal's reaching Nadal's first final and, and he'd beaten Leighton Hewitt, Bagdatis as well to get to that point here in 06 and then that incredible match against Agassi which, at the US Open which is always saying. kind of remembered for under Agassi his last victory but a great match takes two and Bagdatis's role in that match was just in- incredible, the way he was cramping and literally couldn't move but kept going through it and yeah, and he had that match in Australia one year with Hewitt that finished at 4.34 a.m. Oh. I, I think it's the latest ever finish yes. at the Australian Open. I was still up. Yeah, he's just, he's, <laughs> he's just one of these guys who's just been involved in so many moments. And, of course, we can't talk about Bagdadis without mentioning the his racket-smashing abilities as well. Oh, so yes. The, the iconic not even taking them out of the plastic and just... Smashing them to get everything, every racket out in his bag and smash the lot. Uh, Sloane Stevens won through. She's now going to she won easily. She's going to play Joe Conta in the next round. That'll be interesting. Conta, who's beaten Sloane Stevens three times out of three this year, marmalised her at the French and mm. just incredible to going to be interesting. Sloane Stevens was asked about it and she said. Yeah, it's been a it's been a rough year with Joe Conte. <laughs> uh, we had uh, John Isner. I was watching a bit of that match against Mikhail Kukushkin. Kukushkin beat him in five, and Isner really didn't look fit. To be honest, out there, he ran out of gas. Uh, Fabio Fanini won in five as well. You yeah. were watching that, weren't you? I, I was. And something that struck me as quite surprising when I was looking at the stats for Fabio Fanini is that with today's victory, and of course he beat Francis Tiafo in five in the first round, he's won twenty five set matches for Nini as against I think 13 losses in five set matches now Fabio Fanini and resilience are not necessarily words that are always found in a happy way in a in a sentence are they you know but that shows that actually I don't know whether it's marriage that that has, has given him an extra you know steel or resilience but um yeah, he's 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 performing well, isn't he? He's playing the tennis of his life. Yeah, he's top ten in the world. He's won in Monte Carlo, biggest title. Wow, Kiki Burton saved match point today to beat Taylor Townsend. I, I'm just looking at this. She won six two wow. in the third, and she was match point down. Yeah, but did you hear about Taylor the match point? Townsend? It was unbelievable. Will be nightmares about the match. Why? Point. What happened? She, she had an open court. She had an open she, court, mid court forehand. She went for a drop shot, and she just dunked it into the net. She could have put it anywhere. Oh dear! And uh, she never recovered. That's a shame for her, isn't it? Um, okay, uh, right. Well, that kind of sums up can all I the give, results today. Can I give a shout-out to Elise Cornet and Yelena Ostapenko? Go on, then. Who were having all sorts of fun out on the doubles court when everyone was watching Kyrgios and Nadal. Cornet had, had a volley and hit Ostapenko square at the net. And Ostapenko then had a serve 
a few games later, and she served and hit Cornet on the other side of the net and won the point because it, her serve hit Cornet on the full. <laughs> Blimey! <laughs> they were having words and aggro and tension and Brilliant. drama. It was hilarious. Oh, I'm going to go and watch a replay of that tonight. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, but I have to say, it is 10 o'clock at night now, and we are sitting in virtual darkness here on a picnic table on the outskirts of Henman Hill uh, we can just see the lights illuminating out of court one and centre so I'll just very quickly run you through the order of play for tomorrow which starts with I mean this it is a bit of a weird one I, I actually like the, the, the matches two and three and, I, and I, I certainly think Kevin Anderson deserves a chance on centre court given what he did last year but Kevin Anderson against Guido Pella is not a match I think that most centre court ticket holders were I don't want to be rude but they probably weren't hoping for that one necessarily uh, as, the, as their opener um, no offence to, to either of those players particularly but you know um, and then Simona Halep against uh, Victoria Azarenka follows that is going to be a barn burn well I think Azarenka will win that I watched um, Simona Halep's match in the previous round and I thought she was quite ordinary to be honest I, I didn't actually see the third set because I had to rush away for what looked like um, the conclusion of Carl Edmund's match in three sets turned out to be five and he lost because I was waiting to do Djokovic but the first two sets Halep was missing a lot um, and Azarenka I gather was outstanding uh, so I'm, I'm going for Azarenka in that one What, what about you? Yeah I'll, I'll, I'll take Azarenka's form. I think two all to head to head. We're, so. we're all going to go for Azarenka in the newsletter, <laughs> aren't we? Because we can, we can because she's the unseeded player. Uh, Polona Herzog against uh, Coco Goff, who has taken this tournament by storm. She's in the third match, the 15-year-old. Um, on number one court, there is Karolina Pliskova against Shea Suwei, which I, I have to say, I, I would quite like to watch that match. Absolutely. Especially after the aggro words of Pliskova, uh, saying she doesn't want to practice with Shea because she <laughs> wants to play for off a tennis. <laughs> 1998, Jan Novotna, the last time that someone won Eastbourne and Wimbledon. Yeah. That's quite a stat, isn't Don't it? Don't tell Carolina that. No. <laughs> then Novak Djokovic, well, in, in football parlance, they'd stick that up on the dressing room wall, wouldn't they? <laughs> Records are made to be broken. Yeah, Novak Djokovic against, what's his first name? Herkatch's first Hubert. name. Hubert. Hubert. All right, Hubert. Uh, you're playing Djokovic tomorrow. And then it's Felix Auger-Aliassime against, is it Hugo? Hugo. Umbert. Hugo Umbert. Yeah. yeah. Who, uh, who was playing against Marion Airbear in the doubles so, and Catherine described as looking like he was on a school trip. Yes. Ugo, <laughs> He's very baby-faced. Hugo Umber against Pierre Hugo Herbert would, would stretch my... Commentator's dream. Yeah. Lots of French uh, sounds. Court number two, Caroline Wozniacki against Zhang Shui, Karen Hatchinov against Roberto Batistra Gut, Medvedev against Goffin, uh, and well, there's loads of matches on. I, I mean, it's, it's not as immediately thrilling an order of play tomorrow as it was today and yet there's lots of nice little stories around that will no doubt take off incidentally Jamie Murray in the doubles will resume two sets to one up he and Neil Skupski against Dodig and Polisic I'm on 12 all final set tiebreak watch with Riley Opelka versus Milos Raonic in fact oh. I, I think we should probably just skip there now to be honest and, <laughs> yeah. fast forward yeah I heard your debate eight. about exactly how tall Apelka now is and whether he's grown some in, in the last few months well the, the latest I read is he's 11 foot and three quarter inches in his socks <laughs> but that may have changed in the time since I read that well if he'd have eaten our pizza right now he'd have definitely gone over the seven foot barrier and we've got Murray and Serena 
tomorrow. Is that right? Yeah. But when's that, that on? That's uh, to be arranged. Oh, yeah. So that will... I, I think it could well go on to centre with the two women's matches there. You'd maybe expect that to go more quickly than one which has got two men's matches. Okay. Right. Okay, well, fighting, folks. Uh, I'm going to let you get to bed now uh, because it's, uh, it's quarter past ten at, n- at night and we are literally sitting in total darkness probably locked in so we'll we'll see if we can go and put our heads down for the night somewhere maybe under that picnic table over there you can have that one i'll have this one uh, and we'll be back tomorrow with another tennis podcast brought to you in association with the telegraph executive produced by tennisballs.com with our mascot rio with a y thanks for listening to us every night folks we love doing it we hope you're enjoying it tell everybody you know because then we'll have more listeners and we love it so we'll speak to you tomorrow 